Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy. I believe that we are all so much more powerful than we can possibly understand. My goal with these conversations is to introduce you to brave, vulnerable people who are finding and owning their awesome. My guests are leaning into what makes them unique and sharing that uniqueness with the world. I hope these conversations inspire you to break free from whatever is holding you back and to step into your own greatness. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My guest today is Brian Mineo. He is the swim mechanic, the creator of Smog, the creator of the Smogcast, and I'd say he's a social media personality as well. Welcome, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kelsey. Appreciate it. I'm so excited you're here. Yeah, this is, I think, long overdue. We've kind of gotten to know each other digitally over a number of years now, and it's cool that we both now have the platform to have a pretty cool, engaged conversation. Absolutely. And this is one of those weird instances where I forget that we've never actually met in person. Yeah, isn't that funny? Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, oh yeah, we're friends. Like yeah. even <laughs> we've known each other for like, years. Yeah, like who's a podcast with like, oh we're my good friends. I'm like, well, can I say that? <laughs> yeah, let's just say it. I like so, it. So for people who don't know who you are, who don't know who your story, what your story is, um, fill us in. What do you do? How'd you get here? Yeah, um, I have a pretty unorthodox story, and I I think I kind of pride myself on marching by the beat of my own drum, per se. So growing up in Texas, I had a pretty easy childhood. I was on the swim team from age five on, and I was good, but I wasn't great. So I really loved the water, but I think my, my deepest connection was more of like exploratory ways in the water and maybe the social aspect as well and like the community of it. So Wait, I have a question already. Yeah. What made you join the swim team? My older brother. I wanted to be exactly like him, okay. which is probably pretty common amongst like kids at that age getting into a certain sport or activity. He was doing that. And maybe my parents' role of literally having to take him to practice was much easier to also take the little brother, you know? So got into it. I, I loved it. I really did. And in Texas, if you're not familiar, the summers are brutal. And so most people have a pool, or at least there's public pools, super accessible everywhere. So it was all about hopping from pool to pool in the summer. And that's, that was your day to day. And like, I was all in, I had to be like dragged out of the pool at the end of the day to get dinner. So flash forward a handful of years, I followed more of a creative path with music and with art. Uh, film in particular, I studied film in college and moved to New York City after college and thought I was going to be a film editor. And yada, 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 I was super unhappy with that. Uh, I missed the active lifestyle. I think also the independent lifestyle as well. Packed up shop, this would have been like 2007, and moved to Austin, Texas. So back to Texas, but a different town than where I was raised. And I opened up my first like fitness business. And it didn't take shape yet. It was me as a personal trainer, me as like a faux yoga instructor, me as a bit of a swim coach. So I was really trying to just piece something together. And I was happy making zero dollars at this point, but I could tell I was like in the right direction. So the alignment with, with something I was passionate about became very like forefront and evident. Like, okay, this is right. This feels really good. And I kind of faked it till I made it for a number of years. And it got to the point where I had sort of created a a niche and identity as an open water swim coach which 
really there's not a career. <laughs> like there's not many people that are able to do that and say that they're an open water swim coach outright. And I like that, I think. And so for me, long term, it's, it's less about the actual swimming aspect. It's more about the connection and the community and the helping people overcome fears and that support piece that really is me. So I think I've missed a couple of things here, but, but ultimately that's how I've gotten to where I am today. And along the way, I've refined my message and, and my offerings and now have this amazing, beautiful community in Southern California of open water swimmers that go year round. And that's truly like the crux and nucleus of my business is smog. I love it. All right. So I've got a bunch of questions. Yeah. The first one is what's the difference? Like you said it felt good. Like when you were in Austin creating your business, working for yourself, then what did you, what do you mean by it felt good? What was the difference between that and New York, for instance? I think it felt a little more playful because I was able to make my own rules and kind of pave my own path in a sense where in New York or working any sort of nine to five job for that matter, you have certain confines and structure. And of course you're working for somebody else. So for me to then kind of create my own business, I'm putting air quotes because it wasn't even a real business at that point. I had a name. Uh, it's actually called keep Austin fit. It was my first business, which is kind of a fun fact, uh, a play on words from keep Austin weird. Right. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, I think for me, the rewarding piece was doing my own thing. And, and having the freedom to really see where that went. And I, I can't lie and say that it was super easy and fun and I was confident the whole time, so I wasn't. But again, I knew I was in alignment with what was true to me and that was just being unique me and doing that in a way that was one of a kind. Mm-hmm. Is, is play a big value of yours? Oh, it's like everything. Uh, the ocean is my common denominator from the day to day. Like that, that's what I need every day. And if you were to see me in the ocean, like that's, I'm like ear to ear smiling. It's just the best thing in the world to me. And, and it, it seems like a very playful childlike quality and very natural and innate to most people to express that. But most people don't. So I likely have the vehicle here to get in the ocean close by and really explore. So uh, yeah, play is, is definitely a big piece of who I am for sure. What, and what does play mean to you? Uh, good question. Yeah, I, th- I think it means uh, maybe perhaps even in the movement sense, like moving in different ways, like finding a unique way to dive into the ocean, to dive down deep, to twist, to turn. So I think it's just exploring uh, what I'm feeling in that moment. And that looks different every day, of course. And actually like doing that, not holding back at all. I think people get caught up in the... Uh, image of what you're what you're doing hourly and maybe play is not having those restraints on that and it's just just going for it i love that definition that seems like it wraps up presence and freedom and obviously play yeah absolutely yeah and and presence for me is is a big thing do you want to say more about that there's more no 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 no. No, yeah i was about to go down a little heady path but i'll I'll, I'll take us down there well, more more down the avenue of like meditation and mindfulness. Uh, that I think has been a, a big common thread of just my internal happiness for many years now. Uh, like I was saying, like I've had a, a pretty great life, but I think I've always been searching for more. And maybe most people can relate to that to some degree. And first getting into meditation and any sort of practice of mindfulness, that, that's been allowing me to be very, yes, present in the moment and happy 
with exactly where I am right now and knowing that's exactly where I'm supposed to be as well. When did you start practicing mindfulness? Uh, good question. Maybe uh, three or four years ago, seriously. But living in Austin like 10 years ago or so, I got into yoga and a little bit of meditation. But I, I don't think I had yet really understood what it could be, like, like what the potential of that was. It was more for me the physical practice still of being lean, limber, and getting a good workout. And now it's, it's much beyond the physical and more the mental and spiritual side of things. So what shifted? Probably, um, probably life as far as the, like what I had to maintain on the day to day as I took on more responsibility, as I got older, as my focuses became more towards family and marriage, like those things Then I think maybe not sobered me up a bit, but, but realized that I, like, I really needed to be grounded to be the best me in all those places. Yeah. It's interesting. I think I, I mean, I can take it back years ago to like maybe college people asking me, how can you swim? How can you look at the black line all day? And it, I don't know. I never had an answer for that. (laughs) And I still don't, but it makes me kind of wonder if swimmers are almost predisposed to a mindfulness practice. I think so. Uh, Most swimmers tend to be on like the hippier side of things. Like if you think about a college swimmer, more often they're going to be like the stoner mentality than someone who's like the hardcore party, like crazy outgoing person. And I think it maybe has to do with the fluid medium itself. It's Mm. so uh, natural and exploratory to move through a fluid medium. And you're, you're required to think creatively even without even realizing that we're used to being upright mammals on, on a firm base on land. Then we're put prone in this fluid and it's, it's super unnatural to us. So presence is at its peak. I mean, we have to be super present every moment to literally stay alive in the water. Yeah, absolutely. And if we fight it, it's not going to work out well for us. Yeah, that's one of my piece of advice with clients if, when I'm doing swim coaching is, is working with the water rather than against it. Mm-hmm. Because you can be super strong and super fit, like a pro runner, say, or cyclist, and you get in the water and it can look pretty rough. Actually, like, like a CrossFit athlete is a great example. Yes. They're some of the strongest people in the world and they, they get in the water. And yes, they're very dense. That, that's working against them, first of all. But they don't have the mobility. They don't have the kind of finesse to work with the water, they muscle through it. So they can like, crank out 25 yards and then they're exhausted. Mm-hmm. And they see someone like maybe like you or I who aren't necessarily the best athletes, but we can smoothly cruise through the water for a long time. And they're like, what? Like, how do they possibly do that? And it requires a very different mental perspective to, again, like work with the water and be very present and patient with this whole process. Mm. Patience. Oh, yes. Patience, I feel like, is my lesson that I'm here to learn again and again and again and again and again. Yep. Yep. I I can attest to that as well. Like, and not to get too out there with swimming, but I I think it's maybe one of the sports that requires it more than anything else in life uh, because it's so highly technical and the learning curve is almost infinite. Like you, you never will will even reach your highest potential in swimming. You're always going to have more to work on and improve upon. So you have to be highly patient and, and not be very outcome driven. You need to enjoy, like, I hate to like the process, but it's pretty true. You have to be really in tune with like these incremental gains and enjoying that along the way, which it's gonna be tough for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think, 
I mean, have you ever met a swimmer who's not trying to work on their stroke? Correct. Yeah. I mean, and, that, and that's, I think the hard thing at first when working with triathletes, which I mainly work with triathletes is they want tangible improvements and gains. And I can provide that to a certain degree, of course, but it, it's, it's that, that, that should not be the focus. And, and swimmers have a different perspective where it's, if they've got the long game that that's, they know realistically, like that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a very long-term thing. So no, like everyone I meet, they're always redefining their stroke and, you know, tweaking little things, myself included. And I actually love that. Yeah. That's part of the fun for me is like the cause and effect and noticing little things like, okay, when I keep my elbow a little bit higher, I have better leverage and control during my catch or whatever it might be. And that's fun. Where a lot of our sports, maybe a lack of knowledge on my part, I don't quite see all the mechanical pieces of that and like how to really improve and progress. I think the difference, I mean, I think that swimming really is the nitty, like deep in the nitty gritty, but also yeah. swimming, you, you change one little thing and it does, the, the incremental change could be half a second, but that's worth celebrating. Totally, totally. Yeah, I, I find myself having like almost convinced triathletes that their argument's always like, well, you're not going to win the race on the swim and you might not win the race on the swim, but you can certainly lose the race on the swim. So they look at it very backwards. In triathlon, what kind of frustrates me is it's a very lopsided sport as far as the three sports and, and the, how they're displaced. Yeah. Swimming is, is you know, a, a tenth of the race for these long course races. So it's underappreciated oftentimes. And to make the gains that people want to, it takes way more work than they're typically wanting to invest in. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's so interesting to me. I'm so grateful that I started swimming at a super young age for yeah. me it wasn't following a young, younger sibling it was getting the um the pamphlet from the y and flipping through it and announcing to my parents that i wanted to join the swim team and they were nice. like what? how how old were you when you joined i was eight i have an october birthday so i was eight about to turn nine okay which was That's a harsh fine. reality because it was like you're eight but you're going to be nine and ten which means you're going to be doing 50s Oh, that's true. You go from the 25 to the fifth. That's a big yeah. jump too. It's a big jump. First year. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I remember I was pretty good at those shorter distances, like the younger age. I think I was maybe higher amongst my peers. And then as we got older, I was like more like in the mix there. I wasn't one of the studs anymore. And it was that difference of like jumping from 25 yards to 50 yards, which now is like so laughable. Uh, it's like one length compared to two lengths across the pool. Yeah. <laughs> so. So let's take it to open water. Yeah. And we've talked about, I think we've talked online a little bit about helping people tackle their fear of open water. Cause I used to coach a group of new triathletes in Maine, new to open water. And I loved that aspect of it. What, what do you notice? What do you teach? Preach. Yeah. And that's, uh, I, I could talk about this for a long time. So maybe we should really dive into this. Uh, what I found out about fear is it's it's really one and the same. Now, what you're scared of might be different than what I'm scared of, but it comes from the same place. And typically, it's a, a lack of understanding, a lack of knowing whatever it is you're about to try and do. So if someone has a fear of a snake, let's say, it's typically because they don't understand mentally the way a snake moves. So this unknown, your amygdala is firing and like telling you like, hey, you should be cautious of this. So open water is very similar being the, wait, the wait, I have to add to this. <laughs> when, so when I was little, I, 
had a Chinese babysitter. And when my mom came home once, it was a hot summer day. We didn't have air conditioning in our house. So all the doors and windows were locked. And my mom's like, what's going on? And she had seen a snake eating a mouse outside. And she was like, there's a dragon outside. (laughs) (laughs) Which is actually really cool because you can look and like, yeah, that's what a Chinese dragon looks like. It looks like eating a mouse. Um, Yes. If you don't totally understand that it was a garter snake. Yes. Eating a mouse and it wasn't going to eat us. That's well, if you think about it too, in the very like most basic sense of fear, it's a learned thing. No one's yeah. born with, with any fears, so it makes sense that like for her, it's a very subjective way of looking at that because that's how she has learned it. That was her experience. So with open water, it's super easy to understand why someone would have a fear of it. It's perhaps the most dynamic uh, feature in the world. So with it changing every second, every minute, every hour, every day with there being marine life, with the lack of visibility to really the unknown of what's below you, the, the mind can spin out pretty easily. So my simple fix with everyone I work with is working on the breath and focusing exclusively on their breath. Simple, super easy, unfortunately not very innate. Like unless you're a super high level athlete, most people don't even, aren't even aware that they're breathing or, or the quality of their breath, like how they're ventilating along is yeah, it's sec- like no, it's an afterthought. So the simple thought of inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, looking at that and thinking about that, saying that, and keeping that as an exclusive thought, it helps people block out all their negative self-talk and whatever else could perpetuate in a not so positive way. So that it's it's actually pretty simple, and when people can dial into that, they can do anything they want. I find that in the open water, it's someone's first swim. And we work on some, some breath work stuff where we get in the water and they come out and they think I'm a genius. <laughs> They're like, what? Like, how did you do that? Like, there's no way I, I wanted to get in the ocean. I did it and now I, I can't wait to go back again. And that's pretty common. Like, that's, that's a common uh, client for me, which, as you can imagine, is super rewarding. So for me, yes, the ocean is like my therapy and my daily movie meditation but I think even more rewarding, using the ocean to help you overcome fear is like, it's everything. I mean, that's the rest of my life. Like I want to dedicate towards, towards that and refining that even more where I can have a bigger offering in a community way, which is what smog is. But I'm thinking bigger picture now of taking other people out there um, to overcome fear in general. We'll talk more about that. Well, um, so one thing I'm, I'm going to be doing soon is with the Dream Center in LA. Uh, so helping people who have had a rough past, uh, helping them, people who have never seen the ocean before, that they, they've grown up in LA like in Skid Row, uh, bringing them to the open water and having that experiential sort of thing with them and guiding them through that. Um, I'm really excited about that. I think that's going to be a pretty powerful thing for a lot of these people, and myself included. Um, but utilizing the ocean to overcome fear, what I was trying to say, beyond just athletes. Because the people I'm working with 95% of the time are trained for triathlon or trained to do an open water swim. So it's a bit easier in a sense for me because they already have maybe the physical side of things where they can swim freestyle in a pool and they just want me to help them get through the surf or learn to calm their nerves in the open water, get used to their new wetsuit, whatever it is. So for me, I wanted to broaden the scope a bit to people utilizing the ocean to overcome any fear for that matter. So it's sort of an empowerment kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, and I love it. Cool. <laughs> I <think laughs> really... Where do I sign up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to send people to that. I think it's That's super awesome. brilliant. 
Well, and, and I'm lucky to live in Southern California where we have year round access to ocean. Granted it, it's chilly in the, in the winter, but a wetsuit can keep everyone pretty comfortable. So I know it's a bit geography limited, but it doesn't have to be open water is open water and, and a lake or a river can pr produce the same sort of effect for somebody. So really I think open water is a better term rather than saying ocean. So I, I mm. forget that not everyone has a coast near them, but we, most all have open water within like 20 miles of us. There's some crazy stats about that, but uh, cool. it's a it's a blue planet. I mean, we we're definitely a water planet for sure. We are, and I do think there's a difference between ocean and lake. In the, I mean, the fact that the the water in our body is salt water. Salt water, like for me, it feels like home. Yeah, but like the support we get from the salt water, like. Like, fully, did you doubt that you were being supported by the universe? Go sit, hang out in the ocean. That's, that's kind of in alignment with what I was saying about let the water or work with the water. And, and it's true. Like let the salt water work to your advantage and be your buoyancy and be your support. And when you do, that is such a beautiful weightless sort of experience. Like, like I think it's probably not far off from flying, even though they're quite different, but that sort of sensation of being supported and kind of floating is unreal i mean it's it's amazing yeah like people pay money to do these float tanks which is a cool idea i'm like just go in the ocean it's free it's right yeah. there wherever you live but uh it's it's pretty remarkable yeah it is and then when you think about the entire ecosystem and biosphere of the ocean itself it's a whole other world three-dimensionally that people have no idea what's going on mm -hmm. you know like going down is is pretty cool once you take the dive down literally it's stuff that you will never see unless you're actually in the water and people pay favorite place to be. Yeah. Well, I would say people pay crazy amounts of money for vacations and typically they're in places that are beautiful water and they never get in the water, much less someone who pays a lot of money to live on the California coast or Florida, which is super common. And they also never get in the water. They look at it, which is still has a positive effect for sure, but it's being in the water, being submerged, being supported by the water. That's, that's the goal right there. Yeah. I went skydiving, I don't know, a few years ago. Yeah. And they kept saying to me, have you seen, ever seen anything so beautiful? And it was, it was July in Maine. It was pretty. But I was like, <laughs> well, yeah, it's nice. But have you ever laid on the ocean floor like with a scuba tank on so you can be down pretty deep on a sandy bottom, looked up and the sun is streaming down and there are fish and marine life all around you. Yep. That's it. That's my favorite place in the world. That's funny. I had a similar experience. I've skydived once as well. And it was here in Cal San Diego and we jumped out of the plane over the ocean. And I remember the split second I, I was off the plane I was just wanting to be in the ocean. I was staring down. I was like, I was like, I want that. Yeah. Like the perspective was super cool and unique, of course, and very memorable. But it made me just want to be in the ocean. I was like, oh, like that. That would be so cool to just go straight down and dive down in the ocean right now. Like that. That's what I'm dreaming about. Yeah. That's so. That's fascinating. Yeah. I'm glad I'm, glad I'm not the only one. No. Yeah. And I, I have not since. I probably will never skydive again. I'm like, okay, I, I checked it off. I'm happy I did it. I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't yeah. need to do it again, but I will well, be on the ocean floor again. That's it. And so maybe a fun topic to talk about would be the innate risk of being in the ocean, which I, I feel like is a very, very low risk activity. 
Um, and some people think it's a very high risk activity, but jumping out of a plane, I mean, it's probably the dumbest thing you could possibly do. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so day to day, the overcoming the fear, getting back to that a bit, it oftentimes is of the marine life of sharks. Mm-hmm. And these people that I'm talking to and trying to have to kind of rewire their brain are triathletes who are on a bike every day. And if you objectively look at that, that is, it's super dangerous. And statistically, it's not great. You know, you're likely to have a crash. And I hate to even say that, but it's, it's beyond your control. You have so many variables and you're, you're relying on other riders and motorists to be mindful of where you are and what's going on. Where in the ocean, you are in control. Like, in, in you are the only thing that's in control of every second there. So that's probably the most common thing in the ocean is the fear of it being dangerous per se, which to me, I, I don't quite understand it. Yeah, it's interesting because in Maine, what I used to tell people is it's actually too cold for sharks. <laughs> so I, I leaned cool. into my, I was like, lucky for you, your coach is also a marine biologist. And that's it's too awesome. cold for sharks here. Which is pretty, pretty lucky, yeah. You guys get whales there, I know, yeah? Yeah, but not close into shore. Okay. Yeah, so the truth of the matter in, in Southern California is, is we do get all these these animals close to shore from whales to sharks to sea lions and seals. But that's like the best part. <laughs> that's the magical piece is that we get to coexist and share space. Actually they're sharing with us to be in the ocean with these animals. And it's, it's incredible. The first person someone sees like a dolphin at smog and Redondo beach, I can tell, I mean, they're hooked. Like it's their eyes light up and they're you know, taking a photo or video and it, everyone's happy and like it's this collective experience that is never not happy it's always exciting it's always positive and i can't think of anything else that i can compare to that experience on land personally there's there's nothing like it to me yeah i can't say that i've ever really experienced joy greater than being in the ocean swimming with swimming the sea lion pretty cool it was amazing yeah it's pretty cool do you get in the ocean much in, in Florida? I will. We haven't been here long enough. Pretty okay. red tide. That's right. That's right. Once that clears out, now I know not to take it for granted. Yeah, I guess so, huh? Yeah, I'll be in every day. <laughs> nice. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I need my fix. I just went to New England for the weekend, and I, my parents wanted to know what I needed, what I wanted to do, and I was like, I got to get to the beach. I need a little salt air. Yeah, I, w- I was just in Park City over the weekend, um, and I got engaged, actually, over the weekend, which was exciting. I proposed on the top of a mountain, uh, which I thought was pretty grandiose. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, the, the original idea was to propose in the ocean, which kind of made sense, because that's Courtney and I's commonplace and where we are together most every day. But then I was like, well, you know what? That's what we do every day as it is. So I want to have something memorable and very distinct. So the top of the mountain at 8,000 feet in Park City, we did that. Uh, yada, yada, yada. The point was like, even there, we had an amazing time. It was a great getaway. But I think we both missed the ocean within like 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So even being in beautiful mountains that were like recently dusted with snow, it was super romantic and beautiful. I still needed to be back on the coast. It's so interesting. I'm, I feel like I completely like there's so many things that were, are beautiful about this country 
And while we were driving around actually in the camper trying to figure out where we wanted to live, we, we felt the pull of the mountains and we we're like, it's beautiful. Yeah. But I need the ocean. Yeah, I guess if you can get the best of both worlds, I mean, it sounds kind of like a fairy tale, like where is this place? But there's a bit of that here, which is nice because I do, I do love the mountains. I've recently kind of fallen for trail running a bit and just the like longer hiking adventures. And we have a bit of that here, which is pretty special. So I, I do see people's connection with land, with earth, with like that sort of like literal grounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still think there's nothing more innate than the connection with water, period. Yeah, it is us. We are water and we came from water and that's exactly it. Yeah. And I think Lipo's connection with water, it can look very different. Whereas someone like you and I, it's the physical, literal sense of being in the water. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't deny that there's, there's still a very positive attribute of, of living near water to experience and take from that for sure. But I think it's almost a disservice to not explore it further because there's so much more that it can give to us that you only can have by being in it. Yeah. I mean, and there's so much it teaches us. I mean, just thinking of water, fluidity, flow. Yep. Uh, support. I everything. think back to presence. I mean, that, that you have to be present. Like yeah. there, there's nothing more critical than being present in that moment. That's why I think people's fear of like the surf in particular makes sense to me is because it's, it requires and demands attention every split second to safely navigate through the surf which is a skill in a sense. I, I think that might be the hardest part about ocean swimming is entry and exit through surf. It's, it's tough. It really, it really can be tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, the skills are pretty easy to understand. Like they're not like inherently difficult to grasp, but the execution, it comes down to mental, like, like how well you are mentally prepared. And the, the phrase I always use, which is really kind of obvious is you're either prepared or you're unprepared. In the ocean, you have to be prepared. So it all starts on the beach. It's like the mental training of knowing what the conditions are doing in that moment. So reading, understanding what to expect when you get out there, knowing that, yes, maybe it's cold. The temperature is 65 degrees, whatever. And then it's the execution of going out there and remembering everything you thought about and and doing it and being in that moment, being very present, like we said. It's tough. It takes practice. There's no shortcuts. That learning curve is super steep compared to like a pool, compared to other sports, infinitely harder. Yeah. But awareness and presence. That's it. Yeah. It's, it seems simple, but for whatever reason, I I think uh, our world today is so complicated and and there's so much stimulus around us that we don't know how to dial into one singular thing very well or very often or for a long enough period of time. We're and multitasking, I I think is kind of a farce. I, I don't think it's actually possible. Our brain does not quite work that way. But we're, we're forced to these days to be bouncing around, boom, 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 ideas all the time and trying to be our best in each of those places. And we end up watering down the entire equation. So what I found personally is like meditation, even mindfulness practices of, of being present in that moment, that's the only way for me to actually reach my highest potential with whatever it is, even in the most simple of ways of, of communicating with, with Courtney or with someone else. Like I need to put my phone away. I need to not have anything else on my mind, but be engaged present with that person yes oh my god yes it's like a lost art i mean communication is so dead uh and i think not to plug smog too much but i think what why smog's been successful and and really rewarding for most people is that is that we're there and everyone is in like everyone is all in and supporting each other 
it's, it's, um, it's a true community. And afterwards we have, we have coffee on the beach and that might be the, the best part is, is talking about, Oh man, did you see how close that, sh- that, um, not shark, sorry, that dolphin was, and maybe shark. Um, and, and this just talking about each person's like experience getting hit by a wave, whatever it is. And like, that's, that's real. Like that's life. That's what people need to be doing more of is like, how do you find that sense of community in other facets of your life beyond just the ocean? I, I know there's ways like it's no big secret of like what I did to create this community. I showed up every week for years and people came like the, if you build it, they will come sort of mentality. And I, I just, I love seeing other people do the same thing. Uh, a new friend of mine, Brogan Graham started the November project mm-hmm. and that's the free group fitness workout. Like and it's, he's in like 38 cities now and it's the same kind of thing. He, it's a free thing. He shows up and now it's massive and people need that. Like it's less about the workout for me or for what he does. It's really all about bringing people together and bonding and like seeing each other for who they are and listening, being there, you know? I love that. And I love, I love that it's less about the workout and more about the community. Yeah. And it's an opportunity like going out to a club or a bar that's not really my scene, but in the ocean with a bunch of people I love. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Yep. Well, and, and so that's you and I'm, I'm more like you, it sounds like, but some people that say if it is or seen, if they like to be social in other ways, that's fine too. But I still think something like this, people can really draw from mm-hmm. and perhaps influences them to make different lifestyle choices, you know, down the road. And maybe that's the case where Saturday morning at 8am being in the ocean doesn't sound very, you know, appealing or appetizing, but once they try it once and they realize, okay, you know what? Like I'm not going to go out Friday night anymore. I'll get some good sleep. I'll read, read a book, whatever, and wake up and, and be with this awesome group of people that feels really damn good. And, and that, that ends up being, I think the more common piece. I see people show up and they try it out and like, Whoa, like, what is this? Like, where, where did this come from? And it seems obvious to me, but again, like, I don't know how else we can tap into that. Uh, and I, it really, it sparks my curiosity of like, like how to find that sense of community everywhere. And like, what, what would that do to the world? Like how would that change the way we work and unify if we all join together for whatever it might be? Does that make sense? Yeah. I think community is what we're lacking right now. I and mean, we've got it in virtual communities, but how which, many of us are getting together in person? Which the virtual community, I think has some serious assets for sure. But I think it's limiting in the sense that uh, it's a very edited format where, you know, I'm going to write exactly what I want you to know about me, which isn't the, the full truth. And, and you miss some of the humility and the humbling pieces about me that maybe I, I can't even verbalize. So in person, you can really feel and sense that energy and see that about their person. And then you can react accordingly and you can be there for that person, however it is. But online, it's, it's too perfect. It's, it's too, uh, you know, refined. Yeah. Yeah. Curated. Exactly. Yeah. Which again, that's great too. For some people it allows them an outlet to express themselves and otherwise they might just be totally themselves in public. So there's a good and the bad, but it certainly has diminished the, um, the openness and the, like how readily available community is because it just changed so much more to this digital confined sort of format. So what is it about community that inspires you? Um, for me, I, I love the feeling of being supported, like belonging. And I don't know where that spawns from because I, I come from a family that's very loving and I've an older brother who's been a pretty cool older brother. And I think he, you know, a typical dynamic there, but 
I'm not sure why that's always been my biggest thing, but I'm a super empath. Like I feel, and I feel people's energy and I want everyone to be happy and feel good and welcome. That's always just been me. So in this navigation over the years of figuring out what my actual career is, and it's certainly morphed many times over, the one common thread is that I am there for people. And I, I like to make people feel very welcome, like a very safe kind of space. And it's fun. It's, it's not like a therapy session, but it's like you walk in and you're, you're part of the crew. So what was your question? Like what, what I feel about community? No, oh, like, yeah. What, what inspires you about community? I think it's, it's that and, and seeing people when they are part of the community, what they're able to do beyond that because of that, like that's kind of the genesis of maybe them taking on a new goal, a bucket list thing, pursuing a new passion or hobby, whatever it is that when people are, are part of this, like they are incredibly empowered to, to be themselves, which I don't know if it's like the, the structure of, business today where we're, we're kind of restricted on, on showing, expressing ourselves. It's like, it becomes a very linear pathway. I think people, when they can kind of deviate off of that, they find a lot of freedom and they, and they also find out a lot about themselves and like, wow, I didn't realize that like, I, I'm really passionate about this or I like to really do things this way. And, and that's life. It's like, we're, we're so unique. Like we, we have to express those things and a community, that's the, that's the glue is the support of everyone being an individual in this group dynamic. Yeah. 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 And it sounds like connection is a huge value of yours as well. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. Let's talk yeah. about that. What is, how would you define connection? Uh, seeing your person for who they are. Like, like that, that to me is, is connection. And, and that reflexively, of course, goes both ways, but mm-hmm. connection is, is for me is a true, like look at the person for who they are for me connection like in a relationship i always try to, to see the person as their highest self so if you're being annoying and like you know you're, you're just you're doing something I'm like oh gosh i i'll quickly think like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna picture you as your highest self your best self right now and that's who you are and that's how i choose to see you regardless of whatever is going on in that in that moment and it, it can be tough to do that but when you do there's so much love both ways. It's so infectious. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I love that definition. And I love that practice of taking the annoying person and thinking of them as their highest self. That's brilliant. It's, it's not hard to do. And once you start doing that, you, you love everyone pretty much. Like everyone is, is pretty amazing if you think about it. Uh, I've always believed everyone is innately good. And in believing that, I have a lot of great friends. I, like even like yourself, like... I would call you a friend, even though we haven't met in person. And I think it's the collective um, approach we both have of openness, you know, arms wide open kind of love. And that goes a long way. Like, like no one dislikes that. Like no one's yeah. going to be upset about you being super <laughs> inclusive, you know? Damn, you're putting too much love into the world. I know. Yeah. Like, it's like, <laughs> what is this? But some people are so like, uh, like not accustomed to that. And so when they, when they have that, it's, it's a little bit vulnerable at first. Then they kind of lean into it and like, okay, I, this feels really good. And it's okay to, to lean on somebody else. Yeah, that can be a hard thing for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And everyone has a storyline and a chronology and a cause and effect of why they feel certain ways. And maybe some walls are put up. Um, so I understand that, like, that that definitely has some effect on how much you can really open up to somebody. 
but you have to. That's the only way to truly experience someone else and their highest self as well, is let them be there for you. And I, I know people have a hard time with that. I think that's, again, back to the ocean, the connecting piece there is you together just did something very vulnerable and very powerful. And I think that is kind of the, the connection that is necessary for people to really, so to connect and bond. Yeah, I think vulnerability really brings us together. Absolutely. Because for me, connection is open heart, connect to open heart. It's the energy flowing both ways. I love that. And when there's vulnerability involved, like everything is wide open. Yep. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I'm happy that today, like it's less uh, out there to talk about these things, like with mindfulness being a pretty like commonplace, like household term now, people are are now seeing that we really need to support each other. Uh, and, and maybe as Americans, I, I guess the turning point would likely probably be after 9-11 uh, in, a, in a loose way that we, we, are, we are one and the same and we have to support each other. Otherwise, productivity is, is super low. It's really tough to make progress. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think in earlier times, it was ingrained in us that we were separate. Right. But really, we are all one. We're all connected. That's it. Yeah. And what can bring people together? Open water swimming is certainly a thing. It's pretty cool. And so even as I explore this more, like I think it'll be less of the swimming. So like with this group at the Dream Center, it might even just be literally wading in the water, playing in the surf. It might even be actually swimming, just being in the, the ocean and feeling the dynamic, the movement of the water. That I think will be the, the, the big piece. So yeah. even though I'm a swim coach, I don't really associate with the swimming aspect of it, which sounds really weird. I know, but, uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm more of like, uh, a creator of community. I mean, that, that's, that's ultimately what I pride myself on is, is that and I think that'll look different over the years, but where I'm right now, that's what I'm most proud of is, is bringing together people that every week we, we bond and we get closer and we are growing together and watching these guys take on like Ironman and crazy races, it makes me super happy. You know, like that's almost more rewarding for me than me doing it on a particular race. So you call yourself a swim coach. You call yourself a creator of community. I feel like there's another title there for you. What is it? I'm working on that title right now. It's funny you say that, like you're kind of digging there. Like I, I'm formulating that right now. And I, I certainly want to go down the path more of, speaking engagements and the aspect of helping people overcome fear. It's, it's been kind of tricky to, for me to try to create a formula around that. And I don't want to create too much of a formula. So I, I like the flexibility of, of moving freely with, with my career, but there is something else for sure. And I know what I've always been best at and what's most rewarding is, is serving people. And again, like I said, connecting people. Mm-hmm. So I think I'll, I'll see that change over the next couple of years for sure. As far as what I'm, literally doing for my career yeah yeah i feel like i don't know navigator leader there's yeah there's there's something else for sure uh and i think i'll always maintain the swim coaching aspect and uh, it's something i really enjoy and i feel like i'm good at and i'm passionate about but it's not enough at all it, it's it's super limiting for me to talk swim mechanics all day which the irony <laughs> is that my name is the swim mechanic right. <laughs> so you can change that Right. So maybe you just call me Brian Mineo and, you know, formerly known as, or AKA the swim mechanic. 
because that that's certainly one piece of who I am, but I am multifaceted for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you can talk about reaching and high elbow and early yeah. vertical form all you want. Yeah. And, and triathletes love that, but I also realize that's a very small piece of the population and at times maybe not my favorite part of the population either because I'm, I'm not that type A rigid structured yeah, person right. and maybe that's why it works well when I work with those people because I'm a little bit more lax and, and comforting and I, I think there's some room for that in their eyes. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely am looking for much more than like the very technical side of one particular sport. Yeah. I get that. I, I was the same way as a swim coach. And I never, I didn't learn the term early, early vertical forearm until like relatively recently. That's like, kind of a buzz thing. Yeah. I was like, it, oh, just don't drop your, I called it DDYF. Right. E, yeah. Don't drop your fucking elbow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, it's a high elbow catch, whatever you want to call it. But interestingly enough, if you want to get a little dorky for a second, that's the one aspect of freestyle that stayed the same for the past like 80 to 100 years amongst uh, high-level swimmers. Yeah. Like Johnny Weissmiller, who played Tarzan, he was one of the best swimmers, like in, I think it was the 20s. And he wrote about swimming with his head high and his legs low and a high elbow arm position during the catch. And that was the only thing that stayed true uh, really the past almost 100 years now, which is kind of interesting. So yes, EVF, early vertical forearm, high elbow catch, it's all synonymous. And that kind of is becoming a very buzz thing to talk about that. Ironically, it's one of the hardest things to coach as well. It's yes. so difficult to teach, um, which is, is fun for me. I, I like that challenge, but it takes so much work to get to that point to even be able to start working on that. There's so much of a foundation to work on posturally and breathing wise, even before you can think about what your arms are doing. And triathletes hate that because they're ready for the goal. They're ready for like the big gains mm -hmm. and it's just not possible. Like there's a total order of operations that have to be in place. And I think they end up realizing that, but then oftentimes they don't invest enough time or it, they're just impatient with that process. It's so, all right. I did a Facebook live on this topic yesterday. It's bringing me back to the breath. And I had this epiphany during my meditation yesterday. It was noting the I had my hand on my belly was noting like rising yeah. falling and then okay if we do that rising falling then there's this empty space before the next breath that Great. empty space that's where we run away yes that's where we lose it and like go off chasing bunnies right i think life today there's so much locomotion that stillness becomes really scarce yeah, we're exactly, terrified of it. Yes, exactly. And that is being present within yourself, within your body, and having a very honest look at, at where you are and what those thoughts might be in that moment. So I think you're right. Like That's super interesting the way you said that, that like once you have the fall and there's a little bit of gap in time before you rise again, yeah. that's a very honest, brutal truth. Yeah. We're so used to doing, right? Like, oh my God, what am I doing right now? I don't yep. seem to be breathing. Yep. And then, of course, there's the, like, well, when am I doing it, doing it wrong? When do I inhale? Yep. Yep. Our bodies have got us. Like, like we, we just need to relax into it. And I think that's sort of in tie with what we talked about the ocean earlier is the beauty of letting the ocean support you. Mm -hmm. Is it's so hard to let go and it's so hard to not be in control for even a second. But then when you do, like, that, that, those moments 
produce and can spawn the most growth out of anything in life is just that surrender. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty, pretty powerful. The stuff that comes from surrender. I love it. Wait, so back to the breath. So I, I didn't know you were that fascinated by the breath as well. Um, <laughs> yes. What, what else did you guys talk about yesterday? Well, then, then I took it to really didn't get much farther than that. Just noticing okay. that spot. Yep. Of, and that potential. So that's our, that's our invitation to receive that little gift of time between breaths. Yeah. That's when we can receive, we can allow, we're just being. And yeah. yet that's so difficult for so many of us. Yeah. If, if everyone could adopt a, a breathing practice 30 seconds in the middle of their work day, it would look very different for them in a great way, of course. Um, because someone's stressed or someone's tense, it's in their shoulders, they're, they're shallow breathing, they're restricted. And typically, naturally, they'll kind of like, like breathe out to kind of reset. Yeah. But they're unaware of why or actually what they're doing. And it's like, okay, well, if you can just be tuned in your breath, literally 30 seconds every few hours, that changes the entire game. And it allows you to be in control of, of that moment and, and be very aware of how you're regulating. Mm-hmm. But most people, the breath is such an afterthought. Like it's just an assumed automatic autonomic thing that they have no awareness of. And I guess it's kind of taken for granted in that sense. It is. And in a sense, like we can't. So, all right, this morning I tried to do breath and not breath. So like on the inhale, I'd be like breath on the exhale breath. And then on that space in between, I tried to do not breath, but sometimes that was not, I was like, Oh, but I don't have enough time to say not breath. <laughs> and then That's I, awesome. Then I breathe in and I was like all off, off rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know but, where I was going with that. <laughs> well, well, let me just interject a little bit. Like, but when you get that, when you can start to relax and enjoy that stillness, your heart rate slows down, your body oh, yeah. let goes of that, like that grip that you tend to have without even realizing it. And it feels like you feel so like melty and good. And it, you can't help but wonder, like, is this how we're supposed to feel all the time? Mm-hmm. Probably. Yeah. I don't know if people, if I've never talked about this with anyone else during a race, during a triathlon, when I, if there's during the run, if there's like, you have to round a cone, I always find myself when round, rounding that cone that there's a big, like, mm. like I take a full breath on that full diaphragmic breath. Right. And so it's always so interesting. Like, what is it about that turnaround that allows me to do that? And why am I just breathing through the top part of my lungs until that point? And the turnaround is like the halfway point of the run. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, it's not always. Sometimes, I mean, because sometimes we have silly courses where we turn around multiple times. Yes. Yeah. There must be a mental piece of that where, I don't know, you're preparing yourself or you've mentally seen, okay, I've come this far and now it's like all downhill from here. It could be that. I don't know. It's interesting. It could be, but sometimes I feel like it might be, I'm thinking of one race in particular, Nationals in Cleveland this year. There was a turnaround very early, like maybe a mile and a half into the run of a 10K run. And I don't know if it's because my form changes a little bit to dance around that cone. And it just allows enough of a, <sighs> that full breath that is such a gift. So it seems like a very simple thing to teach, right? Like, like, should we be doing that more often or at least 
consciously or even in a scheduled way, which is fine as well. So a lot of people are very calculated with their, their day to day, put the reminder on your phone, like a little 30 second or minute break, I think can have a pretty big impact. But then uh, being mindful, being present kind of goes beyond just this, that 30 second thing. It's like, how can we then truly carry that throughout the day? And yeah. what does that do for us? Like, how does that change how we output? And I don't know where I'm going with that, but I know that most people do not approach it that way. And there's got to be a way to sort of like um, find a way to standardize that. So it becomes education in school and where it's very accessible for people to know how to tap into this. But right now it's not at all. No, not at all. It's all about like how productive can you be and how high can you perform? Mm-hmm. which seems so strange to me. Like, like It's so <laughs> counterintuitive because how can you perform yeah. well when you don't know how to breathe? Right. And, and also like maybe I, I'm a little bit hippie with this, but like how can you truly compare yourself to someone else? You know what I mean? We have two very different vehicles in all sense of the word and we're going to be in some sort of a race against each other. Like I, I've never been very competitive. So I think that's why I kind of see it this way as well. But it seems like apples and oranges. Like there's no way that it's fair for one person to be compared to another with anything. Right? I've also been thinking about this lately and the concept of like, oh, so-and-so is at a different level than I am. Yep. Wait, what, what does that even mean? So-and-so yeah. is just doing something different than what you're doing right now. Right. And, and I'm not saying I'm the kind of guy that believes in giving the purple ribbon, purple ribbon to everybody that right. participates. Like, like, I don't know if that's necessarily the answer either. I'm not sure if that produces the right effect. But there, there is something that's deeply, deeply ingrained now, the competitive nature of humans to beat, to defeat, to be better than. And it doesn't seem like a very healthy thing for anybody. You know, someone's always losing. In fact, one person wins, everyone else is losing. And then what that does long-term, it perpetuates and manifests into other sort of mental breakdowns. It makes us see the world in black and white. There's yeah, a good absolutely. way and a bad way. Exactly, um, yeah. That's not how I see the world. Yeah, it's, it's pretty divisive, right? And that, that's a good point. Yeah. I see all the colors. I love it. I'm all about it. The brighter the colors, the better. Yeah. Brian, this, I feel like, feel like we should start landing this plane. This conversation has been <laughs> epic. <laughs> we should hang up the, the telephone right now. <laughs> <laughs> or this computer, whatever this thing is. Yeah. Uh, how can people learn more about you? Um, I think the easiest way would, would be swimmechanic.com or on Instagram, the swim mechanic and the podcast, my, my small cast, there's links on there and it's not dissimilar to the way we talk today. It's, it's helped people overcome fear and really tap into their highest potential, uh, from Olympian to the tax man to everybody. It's, it's a pretty humanizing sort of show where it's anybody is, is everybody. It's the same. So that would be the best way through website or Instagram. And I love to just chat. I like receiving questions and talking. It doesn't have to be a paid thing. Like uh, I, I'm here to, to listen and to chat for sure. Awesome. And what if people want to swim with you? So currently my groups are only in California and everyone is welcome. Uh, there's a San Francisco group on Sunday mornings. This is year round. Mm-hmm. Uh, Redondo Beach is Saturday mornings. That's LA area. And then Sunday mornings as well is San Diego in uh, Encinitas. So those are year rounds and that my plan is to expand that a bit throughout the country, at least for now. We have small UK, which will launch pretty soon. Uh, which I'm, I'm excited about, which would be kind of cool. The first uh, international one. 
So yeah, if you're in California, please reach out. The group is open arms waiting for you to be here. It's uh, it's pretty special. And like everyone that's come to visit uh, definitely takes a lot from it. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Being Likewise. Here. No, I, thanks for, for inviting me. I, I'm glad we did this finally. Now I feel like we're like real life friends. I know. We're, we're total besties now. This is it. This is it. I know we did it. Thanks, Ren. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com, and there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome.